turn in your Bibles now to Luke chapter 2, another one of those classic Christmas texts that we like to turn to at this time of year. Luke 2, we're going to be looking at verses 25 to 35, or 22 to 35, sorry. But this is a season in which we are rejoicing at the birth of our Lord. It's in part The calendar tells us that we are to rejoice at this particular time, but we know as God's people that we are to be rejoicing at the birth of our Lord Jesus year-round, and that's why we as a church will even sing Christmas hymns when it's not Christmas. I don't know about you, but perhaps you went to summer camp when you were a kid, and they, they always did at the summer camp I went to. They did Christmas in July. Christmas in July. Did anybody else ever do that? Christmas in the summertime? Yes, some people did. Yeah, Christmas in July. And why not? It's always a good time to remember God incarnate, Christ Jesus in the flesh, born of a woman, and yet live that perfect sinless life for us. So if we only remembered great texts like this and only remembered to exalt the name of Christ at this time of year, we would be in a pretty sorry state as a church. And thankfully, we don't do that. We proclaim every single Sunday that Christ Jesus is our prophet, our priest, and our king. And so we seek to exalt the name of Jesus year-round, every single Lord's Day. Because Jesus, the one born to save sinners, came. And we realize that we are those sinners that he came to save. And so that is something that we can rejoice in all the time. This is good news of great joy. At one time, we were at enmity with God. And now, thankfully, Christ Jesus has come and we put our faith and our trust in him. And so right from infancy, we see trouble, though, in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the life of those who will proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ, in the lives of those who will follow the Lord Jesus Christ, who will proclaim him as their Messiah, trouble comes right from infancy. And so let's read now, uh, starting in verse 22 of Luke 2, and we will go down to verse 35 in this great text that we have here. Luke 2:22. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the customs of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel 
and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your, your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on the preaching of God's word. O Lord God, we come to this passage and we would ask for the illumination of your Holy Spirit, that you would give us wisdom and insights, that you would bless us, that you would challenge us, that you would convict us, that you would encourage us with this good news of great joy. And so we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first thing I want us to note is found in verses 22 to 24, and that is that we see some ordinary people here in this text. Ordinary people just seeking to follow and be faithful to the Lord. Mary and Joseph are a Jewish family. They're seeking to honor God by following the law of the Lord. And they fulfilled all of the requirements of God's law concerning Jesus. It's an amazing statement to consider as we'll see here. Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day as the law prescribed in Genesis 17. That is back in verse 21 of this text. And now at the time for purification, according to the law of Moses, the text says, what does that mean? Well, according to Leviticus 12, the law requires this purification to take place after the birth of the child. And it is to be a period of 40 days. Now, where do we get the the 40 days? Well, there are seven days that, that would include the circumcision. So he'd be circumcised on the eighth day. And then another 33 days that would transpire uh, to be able to, to then go and seek this purification at the temple. So until then, they are ceremonially unclean. They can't go near holy things. They can't go to the temple. And so Joseph knows that. So he's going to wait and then he's going to bring Uh, Mary and Joseph, or Mary and Joseph and Jesus are going to go to the temple. And they are to bring two sacrifices. One was to be a lamb, a burnt offering, and the other was to be a pigeon, a sin offering. And so in the case of poor people, they would bring two pigeons. And that is what we see happening here. They don't have the the resources to be able to, to pay for a lamb and to bring a lamb. And so they bring two pigeons. They were poor They also brought Jesus, verse 23, and so that he might be consecrated to the service of our God. And what I want us to note here is that right from the beginning on earth, Jesus lived according to the customs of the law, according to the law. Verse 21, he's circumcised in accordance with the law. Verse 22 and 23, they come for purification according to the law of Moses. Verse 24, they make sacrifices according to the law of the Lord. Verse 27, Jesus is brought to the temple to do for him according to the custom of the law. That is, his purification. He's presented there and dedicated in the temple. And then we see that they did not leave Jerusalem, verse 39 tells us, until they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord. Everything according to the law of the Lord. And verse 41 His parents went to Jerusalem for Passover every year. They're continuing to follow along as Jesus is growing and learning. Verse 42, when Jesus is 12, they go up to Jerusalem for Passover according to custom. So all along the way, Jesus is being raised in this type of system to adhere to the law. And verse 39 is a great summary. They had performed everything according to the law of the Lord. Paramount in their minds 
was to honor God and to fulfill all the laws, to obey the commands. They obeyed God. They didn't treat the law of God as suggestions, but the law of God was to be followed. And so the Lord Jesus was born into a family that kept the law. And think about this, that enabled him to keep the law. Even as an infant, he's unable to do these things all on his own, and yet his parents, he's born into a family that caused him to adhere to the law right from birth. He was circumcised, purified, presented, dedicated in the temple. He had parents who fulfilled all of the requirements of the law for their child. And so that it could be said that Jesus fulfilled all of the requirements of the law for us. It's an important matter for us to continue. Galatians 4 and verse 4 tells us that God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. Jesus didn't have any sin. He didn't need to be purified because he was unclean in the sense that he had sinned. But yet he complied and he submitted to the law right from infancy and through his life. And so we might look at this and wonder, why all of these details? Why does Luke go through this painstaking process to have us consider that Jesus fulfilled all of these different requirements? Why does Luke do that? Why do Mary and Joseph do this? And all this adherence to the law, why all of the care in this? Well, it's simply so that we can proclaim that Jesus Christ not only paid it all, which we just sung, but he did it all. He fulfilled all of the righteous requirements of the law, right from birth, right from infancy. He did that. And it's interesting to note that Leviticus tells us that a lamb was required for a burnt offering and the bird for a sin offering. Now, they didn't have the lamb. They couldn't afford one. And so they bring two pigeons. They were poor. They brought two birds. He was poor that we might become rich. They didn't have a lamb, but her son was to be the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. We see all kinds of interesting things happening in this text, and I think that sometimes these texts become so familiar to us that we miss so much when we don't sit down and really unpack these important things that are going on here. Jesus fulfilled the law. Mary and Joseph were simply ordinary people seeking to live lives of faithfulness before God. And we see the extraordinary taking place. Yes, we see a lot of that in the first few chapters here and throughout the life of Jesus. We see the extraordinary taking place. And we're going to talk more about that in a minute. But we also see that they raise Jesus and the text goes on to tell us that he's 12 years of age and they go back for Passover. So there's, there's an intervening period of years that are going on there. Yes, they had to flee to Egypt and they come back and all those things are happening that the book of Matthew tells us about. But there's intervening years where they just seemingly were living out their faith as, as, as faithful Jewish people adhering to the law, raising Jesus in this type of setting. And so we, we see these intervening years up to his age of 12 that we see in verse 41. They're just simple, common people living out their faith. Israelite family living in Nazareth that Jesus submitted to. We see that in verse 51 of this text. Jesus submits to his parents. 
And then we don't hear anything again until he's 30 years of age. So again, a big gap of years that go on there. And we don't know what happened during this particular period of time that was there. We know that Jesus is growing and learning and, and gaining in his reputation and his stature before God and before men. The text goes on to tell us that. But it, we don't know anything about any angels visiting them any prophecies that are going on over them, any blessings that are happening from people traveling through, any angels that visit them and make great proclamations, any stars that are resting over the house in Nazareth, anything like that. They're just regular folks that are living out their faith and seeking to be obedient before God, before the Lord. They're ordinary people that have a bunch of extraordinary things that are going on in these early chapters and later on in life as Jesus grows up. But though they are ordinary people seeking to follow and and seeking to, to bless the name of God, we do see all of these extraordinary things happening in the first few chapters, and we see an extraordinary thing happening in verses 25 to 28. Let's read that. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. We see some extraordinary things happening here. So there are elements of normal, everyday religious life that are taking place within this family. But we also see many miraculous things taking place in the life of this family. Just in Luke alone, if we were just to go back to chapter 1, we see all kinds of exceptional, supernatural, extraordinary things that are taking place there. Just a short list. There's many places we could go, but we see in chapter 1, verses 5 to 25, and then again in 57 to 66, Elizabeth gives birth to John the Baptist, though she's old and barren. An angel comes and makes the proclamation to Zechariah, her husband, that this is going to take place. That's a miraculous thing, absolutely. Another miraculous thing that takes place, the angel Gabriel appears to Mary, this is chapter 126 to 38, and tells her that she will give birth to the Son of God. An amazing narrative that we, that we know and is familiar to us there. In chapter 2, the angel of the Lord appears to the shepherds. We see that in chapter 2 and verse 9. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And heavenly host of angels also appeared praising God, saying in verse 14, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased just a small sample of the miraculous things that are occurring here in the, in this text ordinary people experiencing extraordinary things in their lives and then in the middle of all of these extraordinary things verse 25 of Luke chapter 2 we see this man Simeon Simeon is introduced here for us and he's not a religious leader or a priest all that we know about Simeon is in these verses right here That's it. You can look in your concordance. You can look him up. You're not going to find him anywhere else. This is it. But what it says, says volumes about him and about the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Simeon is introduced for us. He was righteous. He was devout. And our text tells us something else, that while Joseph and Mary were waiting those 40 days to to seek purification at the temple, Simeon had been waiting a lot longer to see the Messiah, the consolation of Israel. He had been waiting a lot longer. And this title for Messiah, this consolation of Israel, refers to the comfort that he would bring to his people, to all those who would follow him. Comfort. Simeon had been reading the scriptures and they'd been pointing forward to someone who would come, a Messiah who would come, the consolation of Israel. And he was hoping to see the Messiah before his death. And not only that, he'd been waiting, but he'd also been promised by God, in verse 26, that he would see the consolation of Israel, the Messiah, before he would die. What an amazing, cool promise that is. You are not going to die until the Messiah comes, the long for awaited one, the one who's been prophesied about over hundreds of years. He's coming in your lifetime and you are not going to die before you see him. It's an amazing promise. And on that one particular day when Joseph and Mary walked into the temple with Jesus, the Holy Spirit impresses upon his heart and his mind that this is the one. This is the Messiah. He's here, he's come. And so, of course, Simeon is rejoicing that this promise has been fulfilled in his lifetime and he is to pick up the Lord Jesus Christ. A righteous and devout man filled with the Holy Spirit who sees salvation, who sees salvation, we see that in verse 30, with his own eyes and holds the Lord Jesus Christ in his own arms. He received more than what he was promised. He was promised that he would see him, but not only does he see him, He rejoices in the fact that he can hold him, that he can actually pick up the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, hold him and bless him in his arms. The consolation of Israel. And then he makes this incredible profession. We see in verse 29 to 32, this incredible profession. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. It's quite a, an amazing and profound uh, a series of, of phrases that are strung together there by Simeon. But what he's saying there in verse 29, that he's now ready to die. God has fulfilled his promise to him. He's probably an elderly man, though the text doesn't tell us that explicitly, but we can assume he'd been waiting a long time for the consolation of Israel. We can assume he was an elderly man, and now he was at peace. He's able to depart in peace, knowing that the Messiah has come, the long-for-awaited one. God has allowed him to live long enough, able to see the Messiah, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. A blessing to the world, not just to the nation of Israel, but to Gentiles as well, to you and I, who are not Jewish people. We receive this blessing as well. The Gentiles were even in greater darkness than the Israelites were at this particular time, and Israel was very, very dark at this time. Think of the context. There had been no uh, prophetic utterances for a period of about 400 years previous, they're, in, they're in, under Roman rule, under Roman oppression during this time. They have wicked King Herod to deal with. All kinds of darkness within the religious establishment going on at this time. Corruption right at the top. 
And yet into this darkness, politically, culturally, spiritually, shines the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is a light that leads anyone out of the darkness who will follow him. And so Simeon sees salvation. He's holding that baby, the deliverer, the one who has come, the one who has been prophesied about. He's holding him in his very arms, the one who Peter will later on in the book of Acts say this, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And that is why we preach Christ. And that is why you believe in Christ. He is the only way. It is the only way of salvation. Jesus Christ, there is no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. We must come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Simeon knew the scriptures that foretold the coming Messiah and he rejoiced to see that day. What a great fulfillment of the promise made to this one man that he tells us about and we can rejoice in as well. Simeon sees salvation, but he also foresees something else. He foresees separation, division. We see that in verses 33 to 35. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Wouldn't you? This happens in the temple. All that has been proclaimed through angels, all the things that has happened. And then this man comes along and says these words in the temple. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. What a sobering series of statements these are here. Mary and Joseph are in awe of what has been said, and this blessing is pronounced from Simeon. And I don't know about you, but when I see that, I want to say, let's continue on with the blessing. To this point, it's been all glory and joy and blessings. And now the darkness rolls in. There's a big cloud that overshadows this joy that has been going on in these early chapters here in the book of Luke. And I want to continue. I want to hear the blessing. We don't get to hear the blessing. What did it include? What was it? We don't know. But what we do know is that God wanted us to know that this child, the Lord Jesus Christ, would be a point of division. Basically, Simeon is saying that your baby is going to be the most loved and the most hated person to ever walk this earth. The most loved and the most hated person ever to walk this earth. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know that to be true. Jesus Christ is the most loved person and yet at the same time the most hated person. And if you doubt that, you go into your lunchroom tomorrow at work And you start talking about Christmas and the real meaning and the Lord Jesus Christ and you will see division right away. Perhaps you have some co-workers who are believers. That's great. They They will be rejoicing. But there would be others who would not be. It is a watershed of sorts. Proclaiming the name of Jesus causes division. So let's first look at this warning to Mary in verse 35 and then we'll kind of backtrack because this is kind of sandwiched in between. So I'm going to separate them for us. We'll look at these words to Mary here and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. We see this sword imagery that takes place here. 
that this salvation that Christ, Christ is salvation, this salvation is going to come at a cost. It's going to come at a great cost, at a cost to Mary even. That she would see her son rejected. In his life, she would see him rejected. In his ministry, she would see him rejected. And also she would see him rejected finally in his death at the cross. Jesus will be a suffering Savior. And Mary will be in anguish as she watches him suffer. In life, abuse spoken against, maligned, slandered. What mother likes to hear uh, ill words towards her children? And Mary had to experience that as Jesus was growing and, and beginning his ministry and wondering where he was at night. You know, did she stay up like some of us do when our our kids are out late and wondering if they're going to come home safely and these kind of things and wondering where they are and all these things and then they come home and we have that sense of relief and Jesus would often stay out he would perhaps be at another person's home or he would be out just sleeping outside somewhere and perhaps she was worried about him as a mother would and then when she stands at the cross and sees the abuse that he's experiencing there watching her own son die watching him die in his lifeless body hanging there and watching a sword be thrust through his side. Imagine the grief of that. She's right there at the foot of the cross watching. It's a warning to Mary of what was coming. And she felt the dagger continually throughout Jesus' life and through his death of these things as she saw his ministry, and as she saw his death, as we see in John chapter 19, 25 to 27. So there is this warning that we see here to Mary, but we also see a warning to us. Simeon says in uh, verse 34, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And we'll skip over that part about Mary in verse 35 and continue on so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. In other words, Jesus is the great divider. Jesus is the great divider. Now you might say, well, isn't Jesus the Prince of Peace? We would say, yes, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. For all of those who make peace with God, he is the Prince of Peace, yes. And perhaps you are in a family and all of you are Christians and so you have peace as you gather around the cross of Christ. You can all rally around your faith and you can all encourage one another in the faith. But if you come from a family that does not have that, you know that that can be a point of great, great division within the family. And we see that, that Jesus says himself in Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 to 39, we see this, that he says himself that he came to divide. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There's no escaping the implications of these words in Matthew chapter 10 or the words in Luke chapter 2. There's no escaping the implication. And the implication is this, that our eternal destiny is tied directly to our acceptance or rejection of this one 
who is the consolation of Israel. Our destiny is tied to how we think about the Lord Jesus Christ. The hearts of many will be revealed. What we think of the Lord Jesus, do we love him, do we hate him? The hearts reveal that position. In Psalm 118, Isaiah 8 that we read earlier, Matthew 21, 1 Peter 2, all of these remind us that Jesus is the stone of our foundation or he will be a stone to our crushing. It's a sobering reality that we see coming out of this text. That is the main thrust of this message that Simeon gives to Mary. And as I read the text, I can almost see him leaning into Mary. It says that he blesses. And then he talks specifically to Mary, almost like he's leaning in, and he gives these sobering words of warning to her, warning, a warning to her personally, and then a warning to us generally, to all of us, of what is going on here. We see that Jesus is a stone of our foundation or for our crushing. But make no mistake, he is a stone, and he will do the one or the other in our lives. He will, there is no neutrality We can't take a neutral position concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not privileged to be able to do that. We can't just sidestep over this stone. We can't walk over this stone. It is a stone of stumbling. We must stop and we must consider the Lord Jesus Christ. We must consider our hearts before him. And your response to him reveals your heart. To the person who says, I don't need to bow. I don't need a saver. I don't need to be saved from anything. I'm quite fine, thank you very much. I'll continue on my life in my way. I don't need a savior. Then your heart has revealed yourself. You reveal your heart that the stone will be for your crushing. To the person who says, I need Christ. I'm hopelessly lost without him. I need a savior. I'm a sinner and I need to be saved, then you too reveal your heart. You too reveal your heart, that he is your cornerstone, he is your foundation, that you love him, that you follow him. And for many of you here tonight, that is the case. And we can have joy at this time of your knowing that Christ Jesus is our Savior, that the coming of Christ has not been for your falling, but for your rising. It's one or the other. There's no neutrality. You are for him or you are against him. You love him or you hate him. And it will be to your rising or to your falling. The most important thing about us isn't our our wealth. It's not our health. It's not our education. It's not any of these things. It's not our feelings. It's our falling. It's our falling. It's the most important thing about us. Will Where will we fall? Will you fall on your face in faith and repentance only to rise again? Or will you fall to your fatal, final, eternal ruin? That's what's at stake in this passage. That's what Simeon says in his proclamation here, that Christ is the great divider. And I trust that all of you have divided along the lines of the Lord Jesus Christ and are seeking to follow him. And it will be to your rising that you've fallen on your face in faith and repentance, you've tripped over that stone, and perhaps your heart has been crushed 
when you felt the weight of your sin and you've been able to release that to him. You are like pilgrim in the pilgrim's progress. You can release the burden from your back and it falls away and you can be free. And I trust that is your situation this night. And if it is not, then heed this warning from God's word and from this man, Simeon, that it will be to your crushing. It will be to your falling. It will be to your eternal ruin. That's what is at stake. Will you rise or will you fall? Let's pray. Oh Lord, this is a very sobering passage. And so we ask for each heart here, their thoughts concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, their, their heart is revealed. So I pray, O oh God, for your great conviction upon those who have not confessed their sins before you and turned in faith and repentance. And for those who have, I pray that they would go from here rejoicing that, that the consolation of Israel has come and it is to their rising. That they have risen from the pain and misery of sin in this life and they will rise once again in the resurrection to newness of life because of all that Christ has accomplished. And so we bless your holy name, O God, that you've provided a way for us and it will be to our rising. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.